basically I have clients who are real people and I like that much more. In reality, for me, as I've gone through this journey of practice, it's been about the human problems, less personal. And so I'm lucky to have what I have today. Welcome to the Small Business Celebration Podcast, the podcast by successful small business owners for business owners like you, so you can grow a strong and profitable business and use something you learn on this podcast today. Our guest is Brandon Martin of Borton Petrini LLP, and he's going to guide us on the importance of not making an enemy of the staff, reading fiction for life preparation, and dictating versus writing content down. But before we get into this wide-ranging conversation, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. At Claro Tire Company, we know that you want to be safe and secure riding on tires from a family who cares about your family as much as we care for our own. In order to do that, you need quality tires from a family you trust. The problem is, is that there are a hundred different national tire stores in town and their buying process is a chore and they treat you like a faceless number. We believe that you and your family are an extension of our family. We understand the noise you feel with the hundreds of faceless different tire companies that treat you like a faceless number. And that is why we at Claro Tire Company have one of the largest repeat customer bases in Kern County for the last 77 years. Here's how we do it. When you come into Claro Tire, you're not just a number, you become family. We select the specific tire that's the safest for your family, your car, and your budget. We install your tires and give you an unconditional guarantee on your tires. Join the Claro Tire Company family at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield, California, or call us at 661-324-6069 or find us on our website at clarotire.com. That's C-L-E-R-O-U-Tire.com. Stop the feeling of faceless confusion from 100 different national tire stores. Join the family with the Claro Tire Company family. You'll be glad you did. Claro Tire Company, 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield, California. Or call us at 661-324-6069 or find us on our website at clarotire.com. That's C-L-E-R-O-U-Tire.com. As a business owner, you are a visioneer, and you are ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than your mainstream competition. But what about your message? If your clients and customers don't clearly understand what you can do for them, you are leaving money on the table. If you confuse, you lose. Here at Small Business Celebration, we have a seven-step solution that can clarify your message and put you in the game. Don't leave money on the table. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule an introduction today. Welcome, visioneers and small business owners. My name is Michael Roberts with the Small Business Celebration Podcast. And our guest today is Brandon Martin, a, an attorney with uh, Burton Petrini. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How long have you been practicing law? Almost 14 years now. In that time, what kind of success have you had in your practice? Mm. Well, I've represented large developers of master plan communities. Thousands of homes were entitled as a result of my working on projects. Uh, and I've also represented individuals uh, who uh, maybe were hurt in an accident and as a result uh, needed 
some way to recover their lives and get back on track. And I've been able to help people do that. Hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm proud of working with large businesses and individuals who have been injured. So you don't always find attorneys who've had the opportunity to work on both sides of the aisle and see both perspectives. But luckily, I've been able to do that in the 14 years. And I would venture to guess that part of the success that you have as an attorney is because you have represented both sides. Right. There is a kind of blindness that you have when you have only advocated for a particular viewpoint or perspective or a client that's in a particular posture. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that comes out of love and appreciation. If you're a good lawyer... Mm -hmm. You are in the trenches with your client. You empathize heavily for them, whether it's an individual or a business. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, that can introduce a kind of bias to your thinking or even an unawareness of the other side's perspective. When you go to settle a case Mm -hmm. or even when you go to try it in a, in a court of law, you need to understand both perspectives. Um, I, I'm not a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, but I have friends who are, Mm -hmm. and they talk about how uh, they go on missionary work, and as a process, they become stronger in their faith because they have to go door-to-door with people who aren't members of the Church of Latter-day Saints and defend uh, their perspective, their Mm -hmm. religious views. Mm -hmm. And having that conversation brings up the other side's objections— uh, and they have to think and explore their ideas about that. And it gives them an examined viewpoint instead of an unexamined one. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it's uh, both sides of the aisle um, at various times in my career has made me more effective today. How would you notate what a successful case or a successful outcome has been, or what has some of your your high points been on some of the cases you've participated in? Yeah. So there's there's some ethical guidance about how you're supposed to define success or, or in California um, and for an attorney mm-hmm. uh, and how you practice. And so for me, it's always been somewhat aligned to that. Success is achieving my client's objectives. Sometimes as an attorney, there's a confusion about that, and you want to – you go about the process. You're the experts on it. Well, how do I – do I need to file a motion for summary judgment? Do I need to file a motion on judgment for the pleadings? What is the vehicle or the tool, the legal tool, that may accomplish my client's objectives? And that's the realm of a good lawyer, that kind of practitioner's skill set about using legal tools to accomplish – the client's objective. Sometimes lawyers confuse that and they start to think it's accomplishing their objectives. So for all, for me, I make sure I draw the line and it's I'm how we go about a win, but the client determines what the win is. Mm. Why on earth did you go into law? <laughs> you know, it was a, it's a genetic disorder. Um, my <laughs> my father is a lawyer. Uh, my little brother is a lawyer. Uh, they're both very, very good lawyers. I'm a lawyer now. Um, and so that was uh, probably the primary motivation mm-hmm. uh, was because it, it felt comfortable. I was 
uh, undergrad at UCLA, I was doing um, basically mass media communications, which is a euphemism for film and television. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh, I want to make movies. Right. And then I had friends, and I was very successful as a student. I graduated summa cum laude, and I had all the, you know, departmental highest honors. But I had friends who were. Uh, there's no way of putting this kindly to myself, frankly, more talented in terms of filmmaking than I was. Mm -hmm. And they were delivering pizzas. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I want to have a family. I want to be able to uh, to feed them. And how do I go about doing that? The way that seemed most comfortable to me, I think, was what I had grown up in in my family, which was there's a lawyer mm -hmm. um, who provides, and that was my father. Uh, so kind of by default... I ended up uh, going to law school. And like I said, I had very good grades and LSAT scores and all that. So I got to go to a good law school. Which one did um, you go to? Uh, University of California, Berkeley. Okay. Uh, it's uh, Bolt Hall was the, the school. Um, and uh, I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it became a more natural fit mm. for me through the process, the very painful process of law school. I'm now a law professor, so I get to... I do that every Tuesday <laughs> night I teach, so I get to impose the pain on others. <laughs> the Socratic method and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that I uh, got into it because it was something that was comfortable and then found it uh, to be desirable because it was a way of uh, helping people mm -hmm. and making a difference in people's lives that I, I couldn't do through any other means. <laughs> I should say as a postscript, though, that I may have sold myself a little short because my friends who were in undergrad with me at UCLA and wanted to be in movies um, and do entertainment industry work, mm -hmm. they were delivering pizzas at the time. But now, as some of us have kept in touch, they're very successful and working in the industry. Not all of them, but right. many of them are. Right. Uh, so for those who have dreams of doing something like that, uh, it's not always best to take the more comfortable route, right. which I did, uh, and I'm happy with that. But uh, you you can persevere, and I many of them, like I said, uh, I'll see an album cover of an artist, and that's oh, I know who did that. Right. Or talent agency bundling. There's a movie that came out, and my person put together that package. I I dated the person who put together that package when we were <laughs> in uh, undergrad. So that uh, that is. Uh, Something to, you know, it, it's not easy and it's a leap of faith, but I encourage that path too. In your practice, what are some of the highlights that you've been able to affect with your, with your clients through your practice? Uh, um, because you mentioned that you went in and you find it a very rewarding profession. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the rewards, the, the emotional and satisfactional awards that you've received from, from your practice. Sure. The very first case I had uh, involved a young man who was uh, uh, who lost his life on a football field and and uh, practice. He was a the best way to characterize it as a picture is a over three hundred pound young teenage boy who was more of a video game kid than he was or a computer geek than he was a football player. Mm -hmm. uh, he moved uh, to our area from Texas. And the football coach at the high school took one look at his physical size and said, oh, there's my linebacker, mm. um, and sold him 
something of a fantasy that's untrue. Uh, you know, don't worry if you've never played football before. It's you know, it's easy. You can pick it up. Anybody can do it. Uh, and uh, didn't require him to get a physical examination as Ooh. is required by law right. here. Um, and if he had had that physical examination, uh, just listening through a stethoscope, you would have been able to see that he, or anybody would have been able to see, but particularly a medical practitioner, would have been able to understand that he had a heart defect. Hmm. Um, and that heart defect, basically one it's a genetic disorder. One of his uh, valves of his heart was much stronger and more developed than the other, mm-hmm. uh, than the others in his heart, and it um, caused him to have a kind of terrible heart attack on the field. Wow! Um, in his second or third practice, uh, before we even had pads, just conditioning, mm. uh, the school didn't have a defibrillator, mm-hmm. and you ask me, well, what change have you been able to affect? Mm-hmm. And in this area now, uh, in part, I think, because of that case and others like it and national standards, I want to take all credit for it. But now high schools have defibrillators, and that would have saved our client's life. Mm. So it is uh, something that I hope will save lives in the future. And from a business perspective, you've mentioned that you represented a lot of businesses in your practice, in your career. What what change have you been able to affect for the betterment of businesses? Oh, that's a as a policy matter, I'm not sure if I've affected a change in terms of the change of, of law mm-hmm. that affects everybody universally here. In my mind, what's rewarding is when I represent a business mm-hmm. uh it's the impact it has just on that client. If we're able to, uh, people usually come to a firm like Borton Petrini mm. when it is a bet the business proposition. Mm. They're at the point where, okay, this is not just a business. It's something that they've invested a good deal of their life into, not just money, right? Mm-hmm. But also uh, when they wake up in the morning, when they, they shower, they're thinking about that business, right? And then there's some issue has arisen that um, could mean the end of that business mm-hmm. altogether. Uh, their dream is going to go away. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to successfully prevent that harm uh, consistently, whether it's a personal injury accident on somebody's facility. Uh, we've been able to make sure that you know insurance pays for everything, that there's no um, – there's no – additional exposure, uh, defensed verdicts, uh, so that there's no even judgment against a business. Mm -hmm. Having that litigation experience also helps us in preparing agreements between parties in the business world. Right. Because we're not just looking at, well, what happens if this deal goes right? What happens if all players perform as expected? What happens if the world... It, if everything is just uh, turns out rosy, mm-hmm. um, because we all litigate, we come from the perspective of okay, well, we're planning for things to go wrong as well. Right. We understand sometimes parties don't perform as promised or perspect or the world changes mm-hmm. overnight, and so we anticipate those things, and that's a big part of my business practice. 
as you've developed your business practice, what what challenges have you had to overcome in your development and, and growth? One of the, the things that I think is a particularly as a young wet behind the ears lawyer pup uh you want to do is you you're you hear your clients sometimes their pain but sometimes their need and you want to go in their full arsenal uh right. <laughs> file right. a complaint right away <laughs> you you want to you know you uh guns blazing as they say uh and uh what i've found and this is not sometimes it's necessary to have a show of seriousness um but uh that can lead to problem one thing is that under our brown act in california mm-hmm. when you file a complaint it allows them to take matters that might be policy matters and would need to be conducted in an open meeting in front of the public in closed session under the litigation exception so then they can talk about and express their reasoning in terms of things that impact your client without you being able to hear them at all, which should be your right under the open meetings law. So I'm, I'm reluctant to pull that litigation trigger right away. Right. Um, because I want to make sure that if there's, there is a legislative or a, uh, a policy impact that we can hear. The other thing is that um, staff even more than elected officials sometimes. If you are a developer and you want to get a piece of property zoned or a general plan change for your development or something, some approval that you need, mm-hmm. um, don't, and don't disregard the importance or the ego of staff members. Uh, so a lot of times, I'll see this, I'll see young government relations people or lawyers do this regularly, They'll tell staff members, oh, well, I've got to go talk to your boss, a member of the Board of Supervisors or the City Council, or um, I'll blow you off for now because there's somebody more important who's going to actually make the vote. This sounds, but, like, this sounds like something from personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, this has never been my inclination, but I have seen people do it. And, and the reality is that uh, if you make an enemy of staff, mm-hmm. uh, boy, they can be a, a pain and it can really hurt your clients. So sometimes you have to push back on staff, but you should always do so in a cordial and professional manner that they, it, that earns respect because uh, it's so important. Politicians come and go. Right. They lose elections. Right. Staff members can be there for, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, so be very careful. In how, and most electeds, particularly in our area, um, are dependent on their staff for a professional skill set. Right. Uh, so they take staff's recommendation very seriously. Uh, and you are, a, as a government relations person or as a lawyer, as somebody who's um, uh, representing a party, in their mind, even if they like you, you're always somewhat self-interested or, or int- you're biased in favor of your client, right? right? Whereas their staff member is supposed to be an objective communicator of the truth that they have working for them, not for any party in any dispute. Uh, so, And that's definitely not always true. They can be very biased. Right. Uh, but that's not the way most electeds understand. They're not going to get in trouble if they just listen to their staff and take the professional advice that the city or the county um, or the special district has paid for. Sure. Uh, 
so yeah, the, don't don't rub staff the wrong way if you can help <laughs> it. <laughs> and and this is a this is a point that works for just about any business. True, because you never want to upset the person that the first person that you meet when you walk in through the door or the person who answers the phone because very often the person that you're really wanting to talk to takes the advice of the person who answered the phone or is the first person you met at the door. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And you and and unfortunately although I'd like to for advertising's sake say oh you you destroyed a relationship, you offended somebody deeply who's a decision maker, just call us and we'll fix it. Uh, sometimes that's more of a challenge than it appears because at the end of the day, how you present yourself as a business uh, is a bell that can't be unrung by Borton Petrini sometimes. Right. We can help. We can litigate. We can fight. But what if just by being a good professional business person, somebody who treats people with courtesy, you could avoid the need for a potential hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees in a big fight? Right. And that I... I've seen many conflicts that could have been avoided uh, just by courtesy. As you've developed your career and you've grown as a person, is there any books or anything that has helped you along in your path in your personal development? Hmm. You know, it's it's sad, but I can think of uh, particularly now new media sources mm-hmm. that have influenced me and I think that are more than worth a recommendation such as uh James Clear. Okay. Uh he writes an excellent blog. Mm-hmm. Um largely on the formation of habits. Hmm. And as a lawyer your professional professions are sometimes about the accumulation of habits in your practice. Mm-hmm. Um What are some of the habits you've developed? Mm, um I don't know whether James Clear helped me with these or not. Mhm. Um, but I used to be just a complete night owl uh, to the extent that I would stay up and I'd be working at 3 o'clock in the morning and then I'd have to appear in court uh, at uh, you know 8.15 or 8.30 uh, on law in motion or something. And as a result of some work, I've completely re- reversed that, hmm. uh, where now uh, I'm a morning person. I really treasure some of that alone time before I need to go to court. So I'll be up at 5 o'clock in the morning or 5.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's a one-size solution that works for everybody, right? Sure, sure. Um, uh, there have been great books and great novels written at 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> uh, where I think there's sort of, sort of an additional creativity that comes from uh, that night owl or early morning experience. But for me, um, because of how I want to serve my clients, I've really changed my habits. Um, I'm up before the sun comes up. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give a smart, driven person who wants to go into law or open up their own shingle as as a law practice? Uh, don't open your own shingle right away if you can. Okay. Uh, if you can, the in the it, if you're straight out of I should amend that if you're straight out of law school. Mm-hmm. Um, part of law school is building your confidence and skills like issue spotting. You've taken these these exams that are hypotheticals. You've applied IRAC to them. You you have memorized outlines of black letter law. You passed the bar, and y- you've dedicated at least three years, sometimes at some 
law schools, the one I teach at is four years. Um, which law so, school? By the way, which law school do you teach at? It's the Kern County College of Law. It's associated with the Monterey uh, College of Law, and in anything you're doing for the first time, mm-hmm. you're going to be making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And when you're with a firm, uh, and there's no reason to be with a firm if you are not uh, getting this, but when you're with a firm, you're with other people who understand uh, because they've made some of those mistakes in the past mm-hmm. and they can help you avoid them or frankly fix them after you've made them. They mm-hmm. understand the tricks and how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very difficult to manage your time, particularly well when you're learning mm-hmm. and under the stresses of providing just as good uh, representation as you would with a, a full service firm when you're out on your own. If you need to negotiate on behalf of a client, you need to say, hey, we're willing to try this. I'm willing to go to trial mm-hmm. uh, if I need to. And the other side knows that you have other clients you need to take care of. There's only one of you, <laughs> and there's no other associates that can do that work without considerable expense to you and your firm. It puts you at a negotiating disadvantage sometimes. Right. Now, there are practice areas where this is less the case. Um, but if you are going to go out on your own, mm-hmm. uh, make sure you address all those concerns. Uh, if you can, form alliances with other solos so that you can watch each other's back and get help and so forth. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, I practiced as a solo. Mm-hmm. Um, I left Born Petrini. Practiced at lo- ver- a very large firm, over 1,500 lawyers and countries all around the globe. I practiced with a regional firm. I practiced solo. To also to know that the practice of law itself is somewhat lonely in many ways. Mm-hmm. Not all practice areas are like this. When I go to negotiate with government, sometimes I wish there were less people involved. <laughs> um, but uh, the practice of law can be a lot of drafting work, a lot of you alone with creation of documents, creation of complaints and so forth, um, and law and motion work. And it's just uh, some people, depending on their personality types, will thrive on that. If you're more introverted, uh, the, frankly, we need more introverted people in the practice of law because we need people who are going to be able to go into the cave and produce great paper <laughs> without you know, interfacing with human beings and talking all day long. Sure. But if you are somebody who needs the camaraderie, mm-hmm. uh, don't pretend that that's not the case and decide you don't need that aspect of what a law firm is because or or be honest with yourself and change your practice in a way as a solo so that you are getting that camaraderie and developing those relationships and so forth because it's just there are realities to being a solo practitioner that are um you get freedom you don't have a boss right but there are uh there are difficulties as well and you've got to confront those before you you hang your shingle what would you say is the number one skill you developed over the years that helps you in your practice today? Uh, <laughs> this is funny. I learned to dictate. Okay. Which is uh, sadly a a 
a skill set like cross stitch and sewing uh-huh. uh, that is being lost. Uh, that because everybody's familiar with typing themselves on a computer. I haven't seen a typewriter in the practice of law in years, but on a computer or a, a laptop. Um, as a result, uh, we've forgotten how to pick up a dictaphone. Young young lawyers sometimes don't know that they can even do this, uh, but it has made me so much faster mm-hmm. in my practice and frankly increase the quality of my output as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I first came to Borton Petrini out of law school, out of Bolt, uh, the partner with the office next door to mine, uh, his name was Dee Stasnopoulos. He's n- no longer alive, sadly. But we both had uh, to work on motions to compel further responses to written to discovery. Uh, I had to dictate or I had to create maybe 500, 600 questions. Um, he had roughly the same number on a different matter altogether. Um, and I thought, well, I'm a word processing whiz, and he's a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go home tonight early. I'm going to get dinner with a loved one, and he is going to be stuck here at the office. Um, but... I found myself about 30 minutes into the project realizing it was going to take all night. I was going to be sleeping with the office furniture, even though I knew how to copy and paste well. And I, you know, I could, I could move around in the desktop publishing program or the Microsoft word, the word processing program better than he could. Mm-hmm. Um, he never had to open it in the first place. He just had a portable dictation device and actually had already created a, cheat sheet of objections that were generally applicable. Um, so he only needed to to dictate answers where there was no dictation. Otherwise, he'd just say to the transcriptionist, insert objection A or absurd objection uh, number three uh, or objection three and so forth, which would be several sentences worth of speaking that he wouldn't have to do. He also spoke a little bit like an auctioneer (laughs) into his device. So, yeah, he was done right away. I had lost some of my uh, irrational pride, and I stayed there till after midnight getting my document done. And so I thought, I'm going to learn how to dictate. And and I did. And what I found also was that usually after you prepare a brief, Mm -hmm. um, or some kind of document, you, even if it's not before going before a judge, you have to talk about it with somebody. Maybe it's a client, maybe it's opposing counsel. And having created the document through dictation puts the words in your mouth in a way that's analogous maybe to a, somebody learning piano or a musical instrument and the notes are in their fingers. Uh, you've already said these things to a dictaphone. It's just much easier to say them to a judge sure. um, in defense of your motion uh, or and advocating for it a week or two later. Um, otherwise, when you're saying them for the first time because you've typed it, uh, sometimes it comes out a little differently, I've found. So I, I, I definitely recommend uh, learning to do that learning to do it very well mm-hmm. because, um, frankly, you get to st- – when you speak with your friends and your clients, hopefully you're not speaking 
like a lawyer to your clients in that you're hitting them with the constant you know legal jargon that we have to do in formal documents right you should be explaining in plain english typically mm-hmm. but there's a certain level of formality in legal writing and also in advocacy in court and so when you can just pick up a dictaphone and start doing that at the same level you would in a formal document you can without the dictaphone just start doing that in open court and it's just terrific training so also as a third advantage of dictation <laughs> and you can tell i try to argue other people should do this around the firm and most of them still are either comfortable with their their keyboards and most and exclusively work in a, a word processing program um when you dictate uh with a dictaphone number 1 you can do it or as an additional thing you can do it anywhere so you are the creator of the legal document on the beach uh you shouldn't be doing a lot of legal work in an open public place uh and you know i i've heard of attorneys driving back from a deposition who do a deposition summary while they're driving with their dictaphone probably don't do that <laughs> uh but it really just expands your ability to uh to practice in different places and different locations uh, you, if you i've never done it but you could dictate in the shower and some of my best ideas come out in the shower uh, speaking is a different different level of creativity mm-hmm. than typing. I think both we get good results from both. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I'm to even when I I type a document in a word processor, right? I'll often print it out and I want to read it out loud mm-hmm. because that will help me catch a number of errors, things that like looked okay on the written page when they're said aloud loud. They don't necessarily make as much sense or they're, you know, you, you use it as a kind of proofreading mechanism. We don't have to do that if you've already dictated it. Right. Um, You've already gone through that step. So that's an additional um, benefit. And I could, I could argue all day for using (laughs) dictation. I hope everybody, I hope everybody, I know doctors do it. uh, Really good lawyers do it. um, Really good lawyers also type exclusively, but it, it, makes your life easier and saves you a lot of time. You've had your practice for 14 years here mm-hmm. and you've you've seen a lot of changes and you've seen a lot of growth and in the way the world works and the and the business community grows and develops and that sort of thing. The question I want to bring back to is does the business you're in now look like the way you intended it to be? when you first started 14 years ago? Did you expect to be where you are now? Uh, no. Yeah, no. It was Life's a journey, and you can't predict the destination necessarily, but it's still a good thing. I'm, I'm very happy with my practice today, mm-hmm. uh, but it's certainly not what I was expecting when I graduated from law school. How so? Or before. Um, most people where I graduated from law school work in a, a large law firm that's very impersonal. Um, Borton Petrini, we have a lot of attorneys over the state, statewide, um, but the office I work in has maybe seven or eight attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when you work at a big firm, the a client is always general counsel mm-hmm. uh, for a large you know, corporation or something like that. 
Uh, I service people who come in in overalls mm. because they work in irrigation and they're out in the agricultural fields. Uh, I I have basically I have clients who are real people, and I like that much more. Mm. I I didn't know that I would prefer that when I first started. Mm. Uh, I thought, you know, it's all about the intellectual practice and what kind of legal problems you're solving. But in reality, for me, as I've gone through this journey of practice, it's been about the human problems. Basically, I have clients who are real people, and I like that Mm -hmm. much more. I, I didn't know that I would prefer that when I first started. I thought, you know, it's all about the intellectual practice and what kind of legal problems you're solving. But in reality, for me, as I've gone through this journey of practice, it's been about the human problems, less personal. And so I'm lucky to have what I have today. As we wrap it up here, one of the questions that I like to ask is, in having a successful practice that you have, what has this success afforded you? What are you able to do or be because of it? Hmm. <laughs> Heather would say, spend too much money on uh, lenses for my cameras. <laughs> uh, if you ever get a chance, by the way, for yeah. those for the, our listeners, if you get a chance to look at, at his Instagram account, and you're going to see nothing but pictures and pictures and pictures and pictures and many of them many of them are very well done and quite impressive well thank you yeah uh, just recently in my career uh, the hard work has resulted in a little more free time Mm. to be able to spend with uh, loved ones and that's very valuable Um, there's a point usually in people's legal careers where uh, Uh, In the movies, they talk about chasing billable hours and so forth, um, where they sell their time uh, and they find themselves selling their lives. They just they aren't able to get control of a work life balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think I've I have that now, which is terrific. Um, And probably something that all small business owners, my small business clients Uh, have the same issues, by the way, Mm -hmm. Um, where many of them uh, have gone from being employees to small business owners, and yet they're spending much more time working on their business and in their business, in their business in particular, than they ever were as employees for somebody else. Right. Uh, And how you structure your life and your work, these are big challenges, so... Um, I'm happy with where I am now. I think probably in my 20s, I spent, I I remember 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning in an office tower on Thanksgiving Day once. Wow. Uh, So, yeah, you can spend too much time in the practice. Uh, And it doesn't necessarily make you a better lawyer or better at serving your clients. Uh, I wish I would have mastered this earlier, but uh, it is probably what I'm most happy with with the practice today. For our listeners, if they want to reach out and get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, they can reach me at the, the office at Borton Petrini. Our phone number is 661-322-3051. Uh, 
That's 661-322-3051. Now I sound like an infomercial. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just email me, which I, I always appreciate too, because if I'm in a meeting or I'm in court or something, I can't respond. Uh, but sometimes I can read uh, and get an idea about urgency and so forth at B, as in Brandon, Martin, at BortonPetrini.com. Well, Brandon, thank you very much for being on the Small Business Celebration Podcast. You've given us a lot of great information, and we thank you very much for being on. Of course. Thank you for having me. I've been asked, who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business owner who's a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Become a visioneer by joining the Tribe on Small Business Celebrations Facebook page and on Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I am your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.